Okay. Uh, just like to welcome everyone that's in the room here, and uh, just like to welcome everyone that's listening online. Hope you are all sitting up straight and you've got your shirts and ties on, prim and proper. Okay. I'm just here now, just today, to just to share my testimony of what God has done in my life, what He what He has done, and what He is doing in my life. And so, just without further ado, I'll just continue. I was born on the 26th of January in 1866, oldest family of three, a sister Heather and a brother David. My parents were from totally different backgrounds. Uh, my father was from a family of 12, and my mother, on the other hand, was an only child from a mixed family. But before I share my story about what God has done for me and is doing in me, I just want to say that this is my story. It may aid you in yours and it may not, but one thing, please don't let it hinder you. God Almighty is a personal and relational God. He deals with us as individuals in the midst of our circumstances, no matter what them circumstances are. Why? That we may come to him. He may not change your circumstances, but be assured he is working through them. Again, to what end? That you may call on him. Again, be assured of this today, that wherever and whatever you're going through, God knows. God cares. He's not distant. How do I know? Because he has shown his love for us all as our creator. We are human beings made in, in the image and likeness of God and so of great value. Yet we have rebelled so much so that the only way back to God was for God the Father to give his only Son. Jesus Christ, not to condemn you, but that you may truly come to know God through him. That is God's plan, and it has always been God's plan. He is the only wise God who hears, sees, and acts for all those who call on his name. Listen to the heart of God as he hears his people groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And God came down and met with them through his servant Moses, and he wants to meet with you today through his son, Jesus Christ. I can say this to you now through experience of looking back, that every word of God has proved through. But I also say it because it's what the Bible says of, it, of, it, of God as well. In Acts 17, God says, From one man he made every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek him and find him and perhaps feel, feel their way towards him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. What does that mean? It means that whatever, wherever you find yourself today, God is in control. Again, he's the God who sees, who knows and hears, and he's also the God who speaks. And it's this Jesus that I proclaim to you today. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is Peter preaching in the book of Acts. If you take nothing else away today, Jesus Christ is alive. Death is no more. Jesus is alive. I was about eight years old the first time I heard about this Jesus. He showed up. I was living in a council estate in Lisnaski. It was a pretty normal life, I thought. 
It was just another night. I was out messing about with three or four mates and we, had, we heard there was some sort of a meeting down in the garages. We went down to the garages to see if we could make a name for ourselves. And this is what it means to be in rebellion against God. This is the cry of the human heart. It was the cry of Eve back in the garden of Eden, chasing after knowledge instead of walking with God. It's the same cry a thousand years ago from the city of Babel. Come, let's make a name for ourselves. It's the same cry of the world today. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's find a purpose. Let's find some meaning. This is always the cry of the human heart. Your heart and my heart, without Jesus, is always crying out to make a name for itself. When all the time, it's God who wants to make a name for you. In Genesis 12, he says to a guy called Abram, he says, go and I will make a name for you. We were no different that night as young lads, so we went in, but God showed up. And as I listened, I knew I wanted to know more about this person called Jesus. We left the meeting, a double back. I don't really know, remember much about what happened that night. They told me some more about Jesus. I don't remember. I prayed a prayer. But the circumstances of my life didn't change. Maybe you're listening to this and your circumstances haven't changed. Remember, he has not promised to change them, but he has promised to be with you as you go through them. Call on him. This was my first encounter with God. The book of Zechariah says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices in them. And I am so thankful for them small beginnings now today. I could see that things were not right in our home. There was lots of drinking, fighting, unhappiness. The tension between my father and I always seemed to be high. I had lots of repressed anger, rejection issues, fear, bitterness because of the circumstances I'd found myself in. And all this had its effect on us as a family and individually. And so as I moved into secondary school, I quickly got a reputation of being handy with my fists. I won what I thought were friends, felt accepted by these friends, and that felt good, and so it became a cycle in which I found my acceptance. My mum then decided we should all go to church. Off we went, my sister, brother, and self. I think it was about 11 or 12 at this stage. The people were nice, but how real were they? Looking back, I wonder how real was God to them. I'm not sure. How real was I? Again, I can remember sitting in that wee church and listening to ski, listening to a man speaking and thinking, there must be more. Looking back, this seemed to grow in me a bitterness, all these nice middle-class people in church. But really, I was just bitter and angry because of my circumstances. I was full of self-pity, which is pride. The voice in my head was getting louder, rejection, fear, anger, bitterness, all these negative emotions were going deeper and deeper. And not being sure what to do after I finished school, I just knew I needed to get out of where I was. Uh, an army career officer came into school one day and he set the pistol on the desk and he was looking for recruits and I just said, where do I sign? So a few months later I was gone, 16. And mom, my mother, she was happy for me. She would leave shortly after that. And that was pretty much it. Go, George, go and make a name for yourself. The devil was happy because God was getting squeezed out. 
not that he was really ever in. I quickly found that the army suited me, and I suited it. It was a work hard, play hard mentality. Loved it, loved being pushed. Loved having goals, encouraging other, building into people, and then building into me. Always loved being the underdog, because that's who I was. Loved the, the hardness of military and the unity, the togetherness that came with it. The nothing is impossible attitude of it. Then I started to drink. This boosted my self-confidence, made me feel safe and accepted. Got a sense of belonging. Then I moved to Germany, went into the boxing team, and everything was good. But the anger and bitterness was always there, ready to show itself. And the more now with my newfound drinking habit. Problems with authority were never far away. Drinking was now most weekends, along with fighting, and adding to this was sleeping around. There seemed to be a part of me that knew all this was wrong. Perhaps my God-given conscience was bearing witness to my rebellion, but it was also excusing my rebellion. And so I thought, right, George, you need to clean yourself up. Drinking, fighting, sleeping around are the problems, says my willpower, so cut them out, says George. Okay. This was my mindset. I could do anything. I could set my mind to do anything. Willpower. Mind over matter. And so on. It can't be that hard to be clean. Jesus called this type of person a whitewashed tomb. In other words, there was no life in them. But it was life that I wanted. But I did it. I could stop these habits. I was now self-righteous as well as angry and bitter. But this new moral self-righteous me was finding it tough. Willpower was not as good as he thought. And so we hit a brick wall with my tongue. Willpower had been trying to control my tongue to stop swearing. We'd been trying to stop swearing for months and we couldn't do it. And the book of James tells us that no human being can tame the tongue, that it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Jesus himself says, From within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, pride, slander. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. Can you see what I mean now when Jesus says, like a whitewashed tomb? All these things that are in us are dead things. There's no life in them. And so what willpower and I had been trying to do, only God can do. Like the Bible says, we need an inside job. We must be born again. Christianity is an inside job that only God can do. Our part as rebels is to surrender. And it's that word repentance. Where we turn to God with our sin and repent and put our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and walk with Him. But after months of wrestling with myself one night, willpower and I gave in. Willpower was broke and I was empty. And so I cried out to God. As an 18-year-old boy, well, young man in Germany, I said to him, if you're real, you stop me swearing. That was the cry of the brokenness of willpower and the emptiness of my life. I fell asleep and I woke up the next morning. I felt clean, light on the inside. I felt 
the only way I can probably describe it is like when you fire a rifle and you, it's dirty and the barrel of it's dirty. It felt like I had been pulled through. But I didn't really know what this meant. I was marveling at this at dinner time. Uh, I realized that I hadn't been swearing. And now I knew that God heard prayers. And he listened and he answered and there was a God. But I didn't know what it really meant for me. Am I a Christian? What is a Christian? I had no idea what this meant. I went on leave just after this, told my mom. She seemed to be pleased with me, told my sister. She just laughed at me and says, George, you're not wise in the head. <laughs> the younger brother, he didn't really understand. And so I got a Bible, the one I had got from school, started reading that. And maybe I read it for a month or so, not really understanding anything. I'd just seen a whole lot of impossibles. You know, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do the other thing. Just like a list of rules. I thought, that's impossible. But what was possible, impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus had done it on my behalf and your behalf. Jesus had paid the price for my sin, and he's paid the price for your sin. But God was drawing me, but he was also searching me, and I wasn't ready to pay the cost. One life was the voice that I heard. I need to live it. I need to live it. Fast forward now, two, uh, three or four years, 23, I'm married to Barbara, my first wife. We had two great children, Haley and Matthew. But the joy and excitement of being a dad, it's, it scared me as well. How am I to be a good husband, a good father? What is a good husband, a good father? I had nothing to model of. I'm not making excuses here. Loads of people do it without a model. But I needed something, and it wasn't there. Wanted to be a faithful husband. Nothing wrong with Barbara. It was all me. And as, as, a, as a father, I was lacking many of the qualities my children needed. All children need. I've seen the role of a father as providing stuff, stuff I didn't have. When it was really about a relationship, as a father, son, daughter, giving of myself sacrificially to love them unconditionally, guiding them, bringing them up and building Jesus into their lives, that one day they might turn and come to know him as their saviour and friend. The only one who will ever love them in the true sense of the word. But I was too busy living this one life and making a name for myself. And so deeper and deeper I went into the world, always with the thought you have one life, live it. And I was looking for that sense of fulfillment, to feel alive. I was looking for life. And so what I thought was life was in fitness and adventure sports. And I just threw myself into that in the military. And that was life. My relationship with my children at this stage was not the best, especially with Haley, my daughter. Uh, her world had been shaken through the divorce. And so, finished the military in September 2007, left for uh, uh, Iraq, having retrained in close protection as a, and as a paramedic, not thinking one minute about God. Again, I enjoyed Iraq, the job, the lifestyle. You know, it, it suited me 
Money was good, and let's be honest, it wasn't there for the love of the place. When at first I was on the teams doing normal CP duties, then a chance came up to go on to the ambassador's team. I went for that and got that. Life was good. Here we are now making a name for myself. The cry of my heart was being answered. But underneath I was broken. I was chasing life into big thrills, like I said, um, looking for the next high. Started dabbling in drugs, but it wasn't for me. It didn't really interest me. But it was at this stage of my life, I was lost in pornography. Uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. Drinking, many double lives going on, relationships here, there and everywhere. It was just, it was just manic. Um, Matthew and I were good. I would come home and leave and we would do things in the house and you know, we had a, a, a great relationship, so that was, I was thankful for that. I was still trying to win my daughter back, uh, meeting up on leave. I knew I was broken from my childhood and did not want her to be carrying my hurts into her life. So really just trying to keep the lines of communication open. I was just longing for, searching for life, whatever that was, but I was looking for it in created things rather than the creator. Jesus, through whom all things are made. Do not love the world or anything in the world, for the love of the world is not in Jesus. I was a mess on the inside, but on the outside, great. This continued until July uh, 2009, Thursday evening. Uh, Friday was their holy day. So it was a great day for us. We just got the wagons and went to shoot things and do walking drills and vehicle drills. And, and the next thing, Ange, she had come in on the Monday. I hadn't seen her, but she come, rocked up on the range with her, uh, with her pistol to do weapon handling and, and uh, a pistol shoot. But she wanted to try the rifle, so Jack the lad, George, stepped up to make a name for himself again and offered her the rifle with the condition she would clean it, but she did not. So that was our first meeting. We met again that night in the rec room, and after 20 minutes of chatting, I'm thinking things are going well. But out of the blue, then Ange pops this question. Are you a Christian? Which I'm thinking, like, does she have any idea where she is? And then I replied to her, define a Christian. She gave me her definition of a Christian, and I said, well, I suppose that rules me out. And that started me on a 13-month journey to get to know this person called Jesus. To be at first, to be honest, I was more interested in Ange than I was Jesus. Um, But God knew that. And no one knows how to bait a hook like God. And he had put something nice on the hook. As God would have it, a year before any of this happened, I had bought a Bible. Why I got it, I don't really know. But God knew he wanted to talk. And he was using Ange to get me to listen up. And so the Bible was back out. I was asking questions. Ange was answering. But to be honest, it was half-hearted. It, it, I wasn't, you know, it was, I was looking at Ange and reading about Jesus. Looking at Ange and reading about Jesus. <laughs> um, 
So then, one, but one day I just thought, you know what? I was reading the Bible and I didn't understand about the cross and about Jesus and about the person that's personal. I didn't get any of this, like, and I just said, you know what? If this is real, I need to wise up. And so I just started really seeking. I knew that Jesus died for the world, but I just didn't know him, I suppose. I now believe I was seeking him as well as drawing reading bits of the Bible, not understanding. And again, there's a wee passage in Acts 8, you know, um, with the Ethiopian eunuch. He has been to Jerusalem to worship, and he's reading from a scroll from the book of Isaiah. And uh, Philip comes up to him, one of the evangelists, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how will I understand unless somebody explains it? And so to that end, you know, discipleship is so important. Get with somebody who's longer on the walk than you, who can speak into your life and help you, but test everything. And so, so I would leave then a few days. Ange got me this book, uh, John Stott Through the Year, to help me understand things better. And this was a help. But what I think I needed to see was me. And then I found this book. I don't know where I found it, but it was Mere Christianity by a guy, C.S. Lewis. And his chapters on pride and sin and the nature of it were so helpful to me. The problem was me. I was sick. So sick. Then I came across this guy, Mark Driscoll, preaching through the Gospel of Luke. And I started now to see the stuff that Lewis was talking about in his book, coming out of the Bible through Driscoll. And all these truths... There was more. Like I said, that lad sitting in the wee church in Lisnesky, I did. There was more, and now I was getting it. Next, I was becoming burdened with my life of lies and sick with lust and no joy in it, just sick with pride and fast becoming sick of myself. I was blessed. I was, I was a mess in a, a trail of destruction behind me with my attitude of one life, and making my own name. But now I could see it for myself. I could see myself, and it was not pretty, but I still needed God. And God was drawing me and searching me again. I'm so thankful for this man, uh, Driscoll, his preaching again through Luke. As I listened to him talk about Jesus and sin and rebellion, about men needing to put away their toys, about Christian women being daughters of God, you better treat them right about having value as his image bears, about sin, pornography, repentance, faith, redemption. All these, everything was on the table. Your money, your job, your career, everything was on the table. This wasn't just a clean-up job. It really, it's radical. God is willing and able. But you know, we are a stiff-necked people, hard of hearing, self-sufficient, independent of God. Running alongside all this, Angie and I were still going on. We would meet up and leave. I went to her church a few times in Newcastle and her her friends were nice Christians and only one of them had the guts to say to her, George is not a Christian and you shouldn't be with him. But Angie would say, well, you know, he's interested. And to be fair to her, I was. I was definitely seeking at this stage. Um, 
But it's an important biblical principle, I would say, not, do not yoke yourself with an unbeliever. What business is darkness with light? You know, commit your way to the Lord and he will make your path straight and seek wise counsel. I remember looking at Ange, thinking about Driscoll preaching and saying to myself, Gary, you are way in way over your head. And I told her so. Again, that was the Holy Spirit. That wasn't me. George was all out for himself before, but now the Holy Spirit was striving with me. After that, I said, God, this is me praying to God now. I'm not saved. And and after that, I said to Ange, or I said to God, Ange is your daughter. You're a heavenly father. You need to protect her from me. This was all Driscoll. I wasn't even saved. Now nearly a year into my journey, I was still dabbling at pornography, but things were happening to my thoughts, my attitudes, my desires. Looking back, it was like the power of God that had caused me to marvel as a 19-year-old young man. God was now gently drawing me to his son. I could see I was a mess, but God was loving me into submission. He was gentle with me like a good father. Though I did not see him as a father at this stage, this was to happen a long time later. God is patient and kind, and that patience and kindness was leading me to repentance. But all them years, I had mistaken that that patience and kindness for weakness. And so 13 months after meeting Ange in August 2.10, reading the Bible, the book of Galatians, God gave me a revelation of his love towards me. In my mess, the death of Jesus, his only son, became personal to me. And the Lord said to me, he says, you've been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And the life you live in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. It was personal. He loved me. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And you know what? I just fell on the desk and I wept. I fell onto the floor and I wept. And you know what? I've never shared this bit before, but there was one man that came into my head that night when I was laying on the floor. And I pray now in my spirit for that man that the Lord would save him. You see, but, you know, I was just reading over this again this morning and I was thinking, it's not my tears. You know, that the, the, the wee verse, you know, uh, all for sin could not atone. Wash me, Savior. You know, I can't remember the verse now, but the, the verse of that Rock of Ages hymn, you know, where the guy, he's, he's weeping. My tears can't atone for anything. His blood has atoned for my sin. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, come down. He didn't stand on the bank and throw me a rope into the... He got right into my mess, into my sin and guilt and shame and filth, and he pulled me out of it. Praise the Lord, he dragged me out of it. You know, and he can drag you out of it today. Wherever you are today, whatever your circumstances, do not let the enemy 
tell you that you're no good, that you're useless and you can't do this and you can't do that. You point to Jesus and you tell him that he's done it. That's what you do. He has done it. You come into the good of that through repentance and faith. Receive him. He, he's, his hands are wide open for you today. Anyone, the whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you've got to be honest. You've got to be real with him because he's been real with you. And you know what? That woman now, Ange, she's here. I can't see her because Marcus is standing in front of me. <laughs> but she's here, you know, and she's doing the PowerPoint. And I thank the Lord for her, for her courage. You know, she had, she had been walking with the Lord and then she'd been praying for her husband and there was no answer and no answer and no answer and but you know what, Lord, I'm just going to throw myself into my career. And she'd tell you herself, you know, if she was up here now, she was lost in her career. She was flat out and excelling, you know, earmarked to go to the top. And she gave it all up for Jesus and for me. God, praise the Lord. You know, he is a good shepherd. And he was gathering his sheep in Iraq. And I praise the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for this testimony, Lord. And I pray now, Lord God Almighty, that you would take this word and that you would bless it, that it would find good soil. And Lord, you would bring forth, Lord, a harvest, 30, 60, 90, 100 fold, Lord, because you're able. In Jesus' name, amen.